shout, don't you? One of them old time country shouts. So good to see Sister Brenda here joining us again. We've been praying for you and praising God that this day will come, and it's good to see it. We're going to continue praying for you. We won't stop now because we know the battle isn't completely over, but we're glad to see this progress and glad to see you here. It was good to see your son in your absence, too, just seeing him continuing to serve the Lord and persevere. Praise God for that. Um, if you have a spouse that you love, you ought to be here for Valentine's Day dinner. Amen. What we try to do several times during the year is just have something that we can uh, celebrate, um, that celebrates God's love for us, and, and we can have some fun doing it. So, uh, you know, you can go to McDonald's and spend $25 for a couple almost, if you eat what I eat. <laughs> so the cost is not that much, okay? It's not that much. And you get, you get two, two meals, you get entertainment, you get uh, some practical application from God's Word, and just some good, fun fellowship. So I want to encourage you to be here. Now don't say, you know, church don't do nothing, we never have nothing, because when we have it, you ought to come. You need to support it. And so I want to encourage you to support. Now in the past, we've had, you know, six couples, maybe five, six, seven, sometimes eight. But I look out, we should have way more than that. So it's a time when if you're not the band, all you got to do is sit down and enjoy. You, you've got nothing to do but sit back, relax, and have a good meal and enjoy the fellowship. So I want to plug that. I want to encourage you for that and uh, get your participation in that and, and uh, just have you, have you show up. All right, let's take a look at God's Word today in our study in Job. We'll be looking at Job chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, ushers have Bibles available. You know, our Bibles, our pew Bibles, or the ones that we have in the back, are intentionally small print. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's, it's just a standby so that you'll bring your own and you'll get your own. Now, if you're going to buy a Bible, buy the ESV. By the ESV, the English Standard Version, that's what we use in our Sunday school, in our teachers, um, we use from the pulpit. So um, you'll, you'll be in sync with all of us when we read together if you buy that Bible. So uh, yeah, I encourage you to buy your own. If you don't have it today, we have one you can use, but buy your own. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like a toothbrush, right? <laughs> you don't want to use somebody else's toothbrush, you want to have your own. Amen. <laughs> you can write in your own. You can, you can jot down notes. You can write down definitions. You can actively listen. I find that uh, I actively listen by writing, by writing questions, by writing down points. It helps me remember things. So when someone else is preaching, um, I'm actively listening that way, and I, I write. I encourage you to do that, too. So um, you should bring your Bible. You should bring uh, a, a pen piece of paper or something to write on. Some of us write on our iPad or our phone or whatever, tablet, whatever. You can use that too, but you ought to be actively uh, getting God's Word. And then also put a plug in that if you miss something in the message, that people say, you said three points, I only heard two of them, and I'll, I'll give them that other point. But another thing you can do is get on the internet and you can listen to the preaching of God's Word in its entirety right here. So our preaching uh, messages are recorded and they are available so you can get that if you need to talk to the sound booth and give you the details of how you can access that but um I've heard people come back uh, or, or, or mention that they couldn't be here and they actually heard the word being preached that day and that's a that's a good tool to have isn't it all right let's look at God's word Job chapter 2 let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, 
from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came, each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. They made an appointment together to come to show his him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. They raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. May God give us understanding in this portion of scripture that we read and be preaching from today. Let's bow, if you remain standing, bow with me in a moment of prayer. Father, we're thankful for your many blessings, your goodness to us, your keeping us another week, allowing us to come into fellowship again. We thank you for each one who woke up this morning with a heart, with a mind to come and worship you in this place and made it happen by getting out of bed and, and uh, making every effort to come here. We thank you for that. Thank you. Bless each one, Lord, that, that they might hear your word, that they might be a part of the fellowship of, of your believers and, and hear the encouragement that comes from the lives of those who've come to worship you. We pray, Lord, that you would make your word plain to us, that you would um, open our eyes to focus on you, that we might see more and more your purpose that we might be steadfast as we hear your word steadfast to to walk in accordance and obedience to your truth strengthen us through the preaching of your word today make our hearts sensitive to your purpose in us that we might give in to that purpose in every way that we might that we might not um, fall aside we might not be discouraged we might not faint but we might continue of serving you, obeying you, trusting you, loving you, and living for you in, 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 in the way that you would have us to do. We thank you for ones that we have prayed for. We continue to pray for Sister Minnie and uh, her health for Sister Lola. She's here today again, and we thank you for that. We pray for her health and for strength and encouragement. Thank you for Brenda being here today, and we've been praying, and we continue to pray for her health and for uh, her strength and for encouragement in our heart, Lord. She's been such an encouragement to others when we've been challenged, and so we pray, Lord, that you would encourage her and use us to do that. Lord, we pray for my wife, Donna. We pray that you would continue her um, uh, healing and her recovery, Lord, and, and the path that she's on. Pray, Lord, that you would just continue to encourage her heart and heal her body. We pray for my dad, Lord, who's suffering as well, and that you would just Watch over, bless, and strengthen him. Encourage his heart, Lord. Encourage him in your truth and in your word, even though he can't fellowship with the believers as he would like to. We pray, Lord, that the believers will reach out to him and allow him to uh, be a part of this fellowship that way. Lord, we pray for Mac and thanking you, Lord, that he uh, continues on that path with the treatment that he has, that you would just encourage his heart. He, he says very little, Lord, about his 
his uh, serious condition, but we pray and thank you for his faithfulness and pray that you would continue to encourage and to bless and to strengthen him. We pray for son Michael, Lord, who's, who had a, a, just a, a week-long stay in the hospital and a lot of questions and uh, just his condition is, is, is serious, but we pray, Lord, that you would watch over him, you bless him, you allow him to recover, you would encourage his heart, bring him to that that uh, place where he can fully trust in you and for all of his life and be a testimony and example to, to those who, who watch. We pray this morning for Brother Willie Wallace and knowing, Lord, his absence here today says much about his condition, that he's not feeling well. We pray, Lord, that you would bless him, you'd watch over him, that you'd heal him, you'd bring him back into the fellowship, your people here. We continue to thank you for Sister Savannah and her recovery from her car accident, asking you to, to watch over and to, to bless her. Lord, there's so many that we mention on our list, and there's others that aren't mentioned, but we know you know of their need. We pray that you would watch over each one. You'd bless them, Lord, whether it seems to be a, a small uh, uh, issue or a large issue, Lord, we, we look to you to, to bless. We look to you to heal. We look for you to, to help us and to be with us through the various uh, challenges that we face. And so, Lord, bless your word today again that uh, your people will hear and your people will live it out faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. should be a fire in our hearts hands of praise when we praise consuming every part because we know the God we serve will make his presence known when we praise when we In the life of Job, we see a battle and a challenge that goes on, and we get a glimpse of what we would not normally see. We see activity in heaven. It may surprise us that in that meeting place in heaven, as Satan has been invited in, but what that tells us is a couple things, is that he doesn't do things on his own apart from the control of God. Now that both encourages us and it bothers us in a sense. And the study through the Bible and the study through Job will often do that. It will encourage us because it will give us insight, but then it will raise questions that don't always seem to get answered. But that's all right. <laughs> One of the lessons in the life of Job is that we do not, as Job does not always know what's going on or what's going to happen in the future. We're not given answers to all of our questions, but we're given enough that we might be pointed towards God and trust and fully believe in him. In chapter 2, we come up again against, uh, the topic comes of Job's character. I want to look at two things. I want to look at his character, we both start with C, and his 
circumstances. His character and his circumstances. Both of these were dealt with in chapter 1, so it's a bit of review. When we look at his character, it's one of the first things that's pointed out right up front in chapter 1, verse 1. There's a man, his name was Job. He was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So we're seeing his, his character. Later on in that chapter, in verse 8, God says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? He refers to him as a servant, <laughs> one who does the will of his master. Not reluctantly, but willingly, he does what God asks him to do. We're the people of God. We ought to be the servants of God. That means we ought to be doing what God has called us to do. That's what Job was. But he also says this about Job. He says, if you consider my servant Job, that there is none like him. That's high praise. That's the highest praise. For God to say, there's none like Job. <laughs> That's amazing. That's encouragement for us. How does it encourage us? God doesn't say or imply there that Job is sinless. But what it does show is that we can actively please God in our life. We can live a life that is pleasing to God. Yes, we are human. Yes, we, are, 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 we have a sin nature, but we can please God. God says of Job, there's none like him. He's blameless. He's upright. He turns away from evil. He fears God. He has a healthy respect, reverence, and in awe of who God is. And it causes him to turn away from, from evil. Now that same statement is given again in, in uh, uh, chapter 2. But before we move on to chapter 2, we've looked at his character. Look at his circumstances. What is his life like? In chapter 1, in verse 10, one of the things that Satan says to, to God is that, hey, you, you've put, you've given him, you've protected him. You've given him protection. He says there's a hedge around his house and all his possessions. That's an amazing thing. Now, he didn't say that, that there was something physical that could be seen, but what he says is, there's a barrier that I can't cross. You won't let me get at him. God has protected, he has shielded, he has enveloped Job, not just Job's person, but it says his house and his possessions. That's an amazing thought that God can protect and does protect his own. Now, we would ask, if that's the case, why does his people suffer? And that's a big question in the book of Job. But it says here, Satan recognizes, I can't get at him. You won't let me at him. There's a hedge around him. So his circumstances, two, two words I've used that begin with the letter P, he's protected. The other thing is we note about him is he's privileged. That's just another way of saying he's blessed. In verse 2 of chapter 1, it says he has seven sons and three daughters. Plus, he has many servants. goes on to say he's got 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. That's just another way to say he's rich. In fact, it goes on to say he, he was one of the greatest men uh, in the land in that day. He was rich. It's interesting to note that he serves God. His character is listed first, and then his circumstances are listed later. Many people, when they start out the new year and resolution, they, they want their circumstances to change, but they don't give a whole lot of attention to their character. Job's character is what God praised him for. He didn't praise him for his circumstances. God had given him those circumstances. There's nothing wrong with him. But it's his character that really stood out 
at that, that, that bright and shining thing that we'd be attracted to or we should be attracted to. And in fact, it brings in the whole challenge that Satan has to God. Satan challenges, this is Satan's proposal. If you write it, I write a lot of things in a mathematical formula. That's kind of my background. And it says this, character equals protection and possessions. In other words, what it's saying is character in, in Satan's mind is, is, is affected mostly by your protection and your possessions. He's saying Job's character is what it is because he's got this kind of protection and he has these kind of possessions. And in fact, Satan says, if I can take away that protection, if I can take away those possessions, you're going to see his character change. Satan says, he'll curse you if you let me take away his protection and let me get at him and get at his possessions. Now, God says, go ahead, because your formula is all wrong. His character is not based on his circumstances, nor is it based solely on his possessions. It's his character that I enjoy the most. And I blessed him. I see a character in him that pleases me. I love to speak about them. When I come to my meetings with you, I brag about them. I said, have you seen my servant, Joe? There's none like him. But ah, you go, oh, no, he's like that. His character is that way because, you see, a lot of us get caught up in that. We think that our character would change if only our possessions or perhaps our protection would change. God, if you bless me, I'll serve you. I'll love you. I'll be faithful to you. God is saying, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> you, ain't, you ain't got a clue. You see, you ought to serve me and love me already because of who I am. Not because of your circumstances that are good, that are favorable to you. You ought to love me. You ought to serve me because of who I am. God found, Job found something special in God that impacted his character. What about you? God often does test that. He was to say, okay, you're acting good now. Is that because of something in me or is it something more you want? Or because you're just in good circumstances right now? So Satan challenges this the first time we saw in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he, he steps up in his challenge, and, and God, we, we read that. They come together again. God asks Satan, have you seen, uh, uh, have you considered my, my, my servant Job? There's none like him. Look at verse 3. A blameless, upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. I'm going to deal with that a little bit later. But Satan is still saying, look, his character is still based on his possessions and his privilege. He's protected. But let me dig a little deeper into him. Let me impact his very person. I've just touched the stuff around him. Let me touch him. Give me permission to touch his body and I'll show you what he's made out of. And God says, go ahead. You can touch all his body short of taking his life. <laughs> now, see, for you and me, that, that, we don't like hearing that. We don't like hearing that, that, that meeting going on. Wait, wait a minute. God, don't, don't give him that permission. <laughs> but the truth is, when, you, when, you, when you're impacted by the trials that you go through, you show forth what you're made out of. 
They say when you squeeze the orange, you're going to get the orange juice out of it. You're going to find out what's really in it. And so it is in our lives is that God allows these things, even brings them on himself so that he might be glorified. That brings me to this point is that we see in this the, the contrast between Satan's purpose and God's purpose. Satan is the accuser of the brother, and he's the attacker of the brother. Accuser and attacker. He wants to destroy and he wants to deter. He wants to destroy lives and he wants to deter the faithful to, to move them off the path of righteousness, off the path of faithfulness, off the path of loving and serving God faithfully. He wants to move them off of that. That's what he is. His very name, Satan, means attacker, accuser. That's what he is. Revelations uh, uh, 12 tells us that. In fact, let's, let's take a look at that if we can briefly. Revelations 12, verse 9 and 10. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. That's what Satan is. He's the accuser of the brother. And that's exactly what he does in Job. His meeting in heaven, he's saying, no, 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 no. This, this thing about his character, no, he ain't that. What he is is he's just been protected and blessed by you, and that's why he's serving the way he is. You think that question comes up in regards to you and I? You know, I think that God is glorified when we show through our trials that we steadfastly love, believe, and trust God. That's what God's purpose is. See, Satan's purpose is, is um, I mentioned he, he, he's, a, he's a deceiver, he's a destroyer, um, and, and, and he wants to deter people from their faith in God. He wants to just oppose everything that, that is of God. What is God's purpose? God's purpose, if I could state it singly, is to glorify himself. <laughs> now you hear that, you go, what? God's purpose is to glorify himself. Yes, there is none greater than God, and he would fall short of doing what should be done by failing to bring glory to himself. God's purpose is to do just that, to bring glory to himself. Therefore, our purpose, not to bring glory to ourselves, is to bring glory to God. Our purpose is to bring glory to God. By the way you face your trials and challenges, are you serving God's purpose or Satan's purpose? So in other words, when these trials come, Satan wants to deter you. He wants to move you away from faithfulness. He wants to destroy your life and the way that you think and the way that you relate to God and the way that you serve God. Don't let him be successful. God uses the same things to deepen your faith and therefore bring glory to him by you acting out in the way that you do to show that you serve God regardless of your circumstances. God wants to bring glory out of your life, and he uses those things as he did in Job's life to point that out. So we see that challenge, and we can see through the purpose Look at, say, look at Job's affliction now in Job chapter 2 with me. Verse 4, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh and he will curse you to your face. I'm told that the word curse there in the original language is, is actually the word bless. And there's a play on the word then. 
<laughs> Satan says, yeah, Job will bless you, all right. You touch his very body and you will hear his blessings. He will bless you out, is what he's saying. He's playing with that word. God, you want us to receive glory, but just impact the lives of your people in a negative way, and you will get the opposite of glory. You will be blessed out. God says, ha, ah, you don't have a clue of what's really going on. So let's do this thing. Let's, let's go ahead, go for it, and, and, and go into Job's life. And so he says, verse 7, verse 6, the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. I want you to notice that he's still under God's protection. You and I, no matter what trial that we go through, are still under God's protection. God measures out that it is that we face. Now, we seem overwhelmed by it, and, and we often are overwhelmed. And one of the things that we are is perplexed by it. We see that in the life of Job. And we're given this story so that we can identify Job, at the end of this, end of the chapter, you'll see his despair. You'll see his questioning. You'll see that he has many questions that aren't answered, just like you and me. You and me. We go through things and we want somebody to, to make sense of it, and we don't always have that answer. But that's all right. You don't have to have that answer to be faithful and to serve God. In fact, God wants you to serve him without that answer. Let's go through it. He says to Satan, you can, you can impact him physically. And so we see Job's affliction. It's a physical affliction. It's a personal affliction. He's not affecting the things around him. He's touching his body. It says that uh, uh, Satan went out, verse 7, from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. It says it was so bad that he, he, he would take broken pieces of, of, of pottery to scrape himself to try to get some relief. It, but what he's saying is that there was nothing that he could do that would really bring relief to him. Now there's nothing wrong with wanting relief. To, to, we, we want to enjoy comfort. We don't enjoy being sick. We don't enjoy being in pain. We don't enjoy suffering. But we do realize that that's a part of life that we can't totally eliminate. What, what we need to seek to do is in that, getting ahead of myself a little bit, but in that suffering is to honor God. Ask him for the endurance. Ask him for the strength to overcome what it is you're going through day by day, moment by moment. We talked about last week, we walk by faith and not by sight. We ask him, Lord, get me through this day. Lord, help me here. I want to serve you. I want to keep my mind focused on you. I know you're good regardless of my circumstances. Job is teaching us how that's done. Aren't you glad you had a teacher? I'm thankful for those who go before me to teach me, to, 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 to show me how to do something because I don't have to experience all the hardship that they experience and I have the encouragement of them as I go through my hardship. I praise God for that. So I thank God for Job that God has given him as a picture. He's given, a, given us uh, an example that, that we can follow. But Job pictures someone else for us. Look at his attack. It's a physical attack on his body, but it's also a mental attack. In verse 9, it says this, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, we're tempted to think really bad of her and, and evil of her. But before we do that, let's consider what it is she's doing. Job's wife is burdened by the suffering of her husband. She's going through this with Job. Everything that's happened to Job, they lost 
all of their possessions, everything that made them rich. They went from being rich to having nothing. They went from having a family to losing everything. Now, I say they lose everything, but they didn't quite lose everything, and there's an intention in that. Do you notice in his first attempt, in his first attack, that Satan attacked Job, and he had these, these four attacks on him. And in each one of those four attacks, he left something for Job to consider. The first attack, it says, all the servants were killed except one to bring back the message to Job. And the same thing with the second and the third and the fourth. All, all these servants were killed except one to bring back this message. So he's basically got four servants left. And all of them have bad news. It's strategic. It, it is a way to, to, it, to, to, to heighten the blow that comes to Job. To say, I'm going to leave nothing but shreds for you just to remind you of the devastation that I've caused. In the second attack... It's on his body. We notice that his wife is still there. Satan has not taken her life. She's there. She is suffering too. And she, she is saying to Job, you know, the suffering could end if you would just stop holding on to serving God and deny him and, and lash out at him so that his final blow could end your suffering. She's saying, honey, I love you. I don't want to see you suffer like this. Why don't you just give up? It's over. You're done. Can't you see God's not on your side? Why are you on his side? And so this is a devastating a blow coming to him, and it's intended by Satan. I think she means well. She wants the best for her husband, but she's a bit short-sighted. And we see that by Job's reply. He says, you speak like foolish women speak, like, 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 like people who don't know God. You know how foolish it is to think that we can curse God and end our suffering? That's what the world thinks that they can do. They're, they're in a life that they finally find out they have everything they dreamt of, and now it's so... It, it, it's so superficial, it's so unsatisfying that they don't know where to go. And they think, I will simply end my suffering by ending my life. That's Satan's ploy. That's his way of bringing ultimate destruction into a person's life. Because he knows after that there is no rebound from that. You may have thought of that in some point in your life. I don't know what's happened in each of your lives, but I would implore, I would beg you to consider the truth of God's word and not to be sucked in by Satan's lie. The lie is, is that your agony will end when your life ends. Your suffering will end when your physical life ends, and that is nothing but a nasty, hate-filled lie. The truth is, for those who don't know Christ, the agony simply begins with death. Well, you say, well, what about the believer? The truth is the shame of that act for a believer is amazing. A believer does not lose his salvation. That's not an encouragement, though to end life or try to end suffering by ending life. It is, it is the opposite of trusting God and enduring hardship by trusting in God. You're saying, God, I am not going to go my way and seek my relief from this situation. I'm going to seek your way. If you would have me to suffer a little bit longer, then I'm going to do that. For your glory. I'm going to obey you. I'm not going to listen to the lie of my enemy. I'm going to obey you. 
Job said it this way. In Job chapter 13, verse 9, take a peek there. We're going to skip forward just a little bit, just to get a glimpse into the mind of Job. Job 13, verse 15, I'm sorry. Job 13, verse 15. He says this. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Do you get what Job is saying? This comes in a response that he has to his wife. He says, you speak like the foolish women, women who don't have faith in God, people who don't believe and trust God, speak like this. He says, don't speak like that. And then he says to his wife, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? What he says to her, God gives us good and we receive that. Well, here's what he's saying. God also brings evil. Now, we got to scratch our head for that one. Huh? God brings evil? Yes. God often, God also brings evil. Not only allows it, but if you understand his sovereignty, he makes it happen for his purpose and his glory that we don't always understand and we can't comprehend. But that's the, that's, that's the stage, that's the phase that we live in. It's not failing to fully understand the will and purpose of God. Hey, brother, I'm there. You're there too. Job was there. And he's saying in the midst of this anguish and and. and, and lack of knowledge or understanding what the full purpose of God is, we suffer because God seems to be and actually is our, our, the, the one that the evil comes from. He, he's the distributor of it. He brings it on. The name Job I mentioned last week can also mean or has a play on the word enemy. Job sees God as his enemy. In other words, there's times in his life when the anguish and the suffering he recognized, just like his wife recognized, that's coming from God. We know that because God could change any of that at any time, but he chooses not to, and we struggle with that. God, why won't you give me this job? God, why won't you fill our church? Those seems like good things. God, why won't you heal me or make that this would never have happened? God, why did you bring this on this way at this time right now in my life? We don't always get answers to those questions. And there's times when God seems to be the one that opposes us instead of the one that is helping us along. And we, we struggle with that. We're going to go through Job. But I, I thought, you know, how am I going to teach through Job? Because after chapter 2, you get into some deep uh, uh, conversations and, 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 and monologue between the two. But you, you and I, I need to wrestle with that because Job is, is pouring out his heart. He's saying, God has attacked me. And I don't understand why. You and I feel like that sometimes. And so we relate to Job. But in the midst of this feeling, did you catch what we just read in Job 13, 15? He says, though he slay me, if in fact I'm right in my perception that God is indeed responsible for my circumstance right now, just like he was responsible when things were going great, and I praised and I thanked him for that, and now things ain't going so great, and I got to go, wait a minute, God lost control, Satan is doing all that he wants. No, no, God's still in control, and I struggle with that, but I have to say, in the midst of my confusion, my perplexity, Though he slay me, even if he was to bring my death or cause me to suffer more and more and more, even still, <laughs> though he slay me, what does he say? I'll trust him. 
I'll trust him. So my question has been this. What brings a man to have that kind of response? Many of God's people have gone to their death trusting God. Not only gone to their death trusting God, but they died because of God's affliction. They faced death and fall into death because of God's affliction. Look at each one of the apostles in the New Testament. Look at many of the Old Testament prophets. God says, go and speak this message, and they're going to hate you, and they're going to attack you. Many of the apostles, they lost their lives because of their steadfastness to teach and to speak, thus saith the Lord. So this affliction came to them, yes, from wicked men, but God allowed it to his most faithful servants. And in the midst of that, just like Stephen in Acts chapter 7, he spoke, and the more of the love of God that showed in his speaking, the more they hated him, and they jumped on him and stoned him to death. And while they were stoning him, he was crying out to God. Not God, come help me, but just <laughs> God, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. He, where did he get that from? He got that from Jesus. He got that from Jesus. What is it that causes Job and others to say, though he slay me, I will hope in him? They love, they trust, and they believe God because God offers a Savior who redeems them. Let me say it this way. They love, they trust, they believe God because God even in their afflictions, they love and they trust and they believe God. Even afflictions that lead to their very death, they love, they trust, and they believe God. Why? Because God has afflicted his own son for their sake. God has afflicted his own son for their very sake. God has provided a savior through afflicting his own son so that you and I, so that they could be redeemed and rescued. Brother Nick sang that song beautifully this morning. I am redeemed. How did that redemption come? Because God afflicted his son his sinless son, through wicked, vile, violent men who hated him for no cause. God brought this on his son. This wasn't beyond his control and like, oh man, I didn't tell my son to go through all this. Satan done, 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 gone way too far. No, God says, I've, I've orchestrated this. And for what purpose? For what purpose? <laughs> Two verses I want to look at that just kind of bring us to this one that we just got out of in 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. 1 John chapter 5, verse 10, it says this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This propitiation means he sent his son to be the sacrifice, the one and only sacrifice that God accepts as payment for our sin. So God deemed in his scheme of things that his son would have to suffer a violent, painful death so that you and I could be redeemed. And so people like Job and us included, we look and we see the suffering that come on us and we can still trust God even if the suffering brings death because we realize God used that suffering in his son to bring death to his son for our redemption. We can have hope in a God that provided our Savior through the very means of suffering. And all we're doing is being more like our Savior. 
there's another verse that comes out, and it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake he made him to be sin. For our sake Jesus was laid up on the cross. Held by nails which the weight of his body pressed on. He was tortured. He was brought to a slow, painful death for our sake. You say, well, now, how would Job have known this? How would Old Testament people have even thought of this? Why? How would Job come to the statement of, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him or yet will I trust him? Where does he get that idea from? Well, let's look at the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. Let's look at verse 7, first of all, in verse 21. In Genesis chapter 3, God put a blueprint in his word that we might see something. Who was the first man killed? Why was he killed? What, 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 was he put to death for his own wrong? No, first man killed was killed because he had a hated brother. A brother who hated him for doing right. Was the first being that experienced death. I can say that was killed. We'll look at him. Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths. We know they're talking about Adam and Eve after they sinned, and, and, and they realized they had sinned. They were running from God. They were hiding from God, and they, they hid themselves with this clothing, clothing made out of plants, right, the leaves from plants. They woven together. Made a bikini, right? Made something to put around them, an apron, a dress, or whatever you want to call it, a kilt or whatever. They put something around themselves to cover their nakedness. God says, no, that ain't good enough. Look at verse 21. It seems like a, almost a parenthesis in the whole thing. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. The contrast between... The, the, the clothes that Adam and Eve made and the garments that God made for them, the garments of skin. How did he get the skin? Well, he had to take one of his creations, an animal. He had to take the life of that animal to get the skin, and he had to, he had to for, uh, fashion a uh, uh, clothing from that. Now, you, I say he had to. He could have done it any way he wanted to, but he chose to do it that way. He chose to do it that way because he's given us a picture of what happens for sin to be reconciled. What he's talking about is, is really what we think of in this word propitiation. What is it that satisfies God and, and brings about the payment for sin or the covering for sin? He said, the fig leaves won't do. I'm going to make clothing out of animal skins. The animal had to die. He had to give his life. Innocent, he had done nothing wrong. Adam and Eve did the wrong, and this animal was just doing his own thing, right? And God says, no, i got to take your life to cover for these. That animal is a sacrifice, the first sacrifice given, the first life taken. That animal is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin, he became sin for us. He took on death, pain, and suffering as a result of our sin so that he could be the payment for our sin. The picture was, was, was set in Genesis chapter 3. Let's go on. In Genesis chapter 12, we see the life of Abraham. Actually, I'm going to skip part of that life and look at Genesis chapter 22, the life of Abraham. The point I'm getting to, though, is way in the beginning of Scripture in Genesis that we see this being set forth. 
that God is dealing with sin through a sacrifice of a sinless one, a sinless sacrifice. It's an animal in both cases, but the animal is a picture of who Jesus Christ would be. And what I'm saying to you is that Job could say that there is a provision made that, that my suffering I can endure because God allow someone else to suffer on my cause or for my cause so that I might be redeemed. And because I've been redeemed in this manner, I can, I can get through. I can get through the suffering because I know how God acts and what he uses suffering for and I know what he, he's done and how it's been a blessing in my life. In Genesis chapter 22, I think it's two verses there. I want to look at it. And it's, uh, first one is chapter Chapter 2, verse 2, instructions of God to Abraham. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. Remember, this is before the law, right? Before Moses, before the law. But a picture is set for us of a sacrifice and it's a burnt offering. He says, I want you to offer your son this way. Your only son, the one that you love. He's making an emphasis there. And then we get to the next verse in verse 11. So Abraham was about to do this. Verse 10, he took the knife and he's about to, to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and looking, behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead, instead of his son. This offering worked in the place of his son. Jesus Christ works as the ram, the offering, instead of us, for you and me. He took on sin, our sin, so that he might pay by his affliction for our redemption. While we're suffering, we can realize that Jesus suffered much more than we will ever suffer. And he suffered for wrong that we can never relate to. He suffered in our place that we should have suffered. And we can endure whatever suffering that God has imposed on us. We can understand, yes, God brings suffering into our lives. We receive good things. We'll also receive some things that are not good. But God portions them out, and he's already set his son to pay for what we could not pay for. And so even if you and I were to be dying or on our deathbed because of God's affliction, we can say with Job, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Why? We can say, even though God has brought difficult things into my life, we can say this, God is good because he has chosen to use suffering to bring about the very thing that would destroy me, to, to, I mean, to free me from that thing that would destroy me. He's used the suffering in my, my life, the thing that would destroy me, he's used to bring about my redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. Our suffering should cause us to think more about Jesus to reflect on him and the goodness of God to allow him to be in our place for what we could never pay for. We should worship him. Now, I need a couple more minutes, and I'm going to take them now because we didn't finish this chapter, and there's something that's important that goes along with this. So bear with me for just a moment. In Job chapter 2, I'm just going to touch on it now, and I'll, I'll focus more on it next time. Verse 11 talks about Job's three friends and the comfort from Job's friends. 
and I'm, I'll deal with how they comforted him and what that meant at a later time. But what I want to deal with is why they comforted him. They comforted Job because he was totally perplexed. He was suffering tremendously. He was in anguish. And he was hurt. And his friends... came to comfort him. The point is this. We'll see that in the coming chapters. Job has this strong faith. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But what goes along with this faith is the thing that you and I struggle with, and that is this. He doesn't understand what God is doing and why God is doing that. That's where he is. He hasn't sinned against God to bring this on as his friends will suggest later on. But he doesn't understand. I want you to wrestle with that a little bit now. Because that's where you and I are. We're on the part of the earth that we haven't seen the meeting that goes on in heaven. And even if we've seen it, we'd still be asking, well, no, God, don't, 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 don't let Satan do that. And we don't understand why God said yeah to it. God, couldn't you get glory in some other kind of way? That's what we do when we go through our trials. And we need to walk through in a way that Job is going through this. He's in such agony because he doesn't understand why these things are happening to him. So if you've been in that place where you're saying, God, why is this happening to me? That's okay. It's okay to be there, and it's even okay to ask that question. But what we see is why he, while he's asking that question, he still has this faith that says, God, even though I don't understand it all, my hope is in you. That's what he says. Even though I don't get it, I don't understand it, I've got all these questions, my hope is in you. See, look, there's a lot of stuff we don't understand, but there's something that God has made clearly plain to us through his word and through our experience is that God is sovereign and that God is good. I could sum up all the scripture right there. God is sovereign and God is good. And when we walk away from that knowing this, it doesn't matter all the stuff I don't understand. When I understand those two things, I can worship God and say, and, and speak the way Job, it says in, in the end of verse uh, 9 or verse uh, 10, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Doesn't mean he had all the answers. In fact, he's mightily perplexed. But in all that, he can say, God, you're sovereign. I don't understand all that, but I know you're good. I serve you because of those two things. I don't understand you. I don't have all my questions resolved. But I can live in that perplexity knowing that God is good. Can you? <laughs> can you? Can you live in that perplexity? Can you serve in that perplexity? Can you be faithful in that perplexity? Even though you have all these questions, you can wrestle with that. But you can still stand firm that God is good. And I will serve him till my very last breath. Father, we thank you for the faith you give your people. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to have that kind of steadfastness that endures even though we don't understand. Thank you for these other chapters that just kind of give us a glimpse of the depth of Job's struggle, his agony, and his perplexity. Because we lay, at, we lay on our bed sometime at night and we are there. We try to minister to a friend and a loved one and we can't answer all those questions. But we can say, Lord, you are good. You allowed your son to suffer immeasurably for our sin, to bring about our salvation. You are good.
Jesus is the proof of your goodness. We see him, we know him, we love him, we worship you, we see you in him, we worship you because of him. We see Jesus and we can say, Lord, you are good. We point those who need to know Jesus, we point them to him today, Lord, and pray that you would open their eyes so they can rest, even in their wrestling and even in their struggling, they can rest on the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life that they might be saved. Thank you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.